What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have a really exciting interview with two incredible guests. We have Wesley Faulkner and PJ Haggerty. Wesley is the head of community at Single Store, and PJ Haggerty is the head of developer relations at Mattermost. And they are also two of the multiple hosts. There's, I think, four or five hosts at the podcast called Community Pulse, which is an incredible podcast you should all check out. They focus a lot on developer relations. And that was the focus of our conversation today. DevRel, developer evangelism, developer engagement, developer community. There's a lot of terms for these kinds of communities that are focused on connecting with and serving and supporting developer ecosystems. We talk about that. What's the difference between all of those terms and how the role of developer relations isn't just being someone at a conference wearing the shirt of the product. It isn't just providing a support form. There's a whole lot of different things that DevRel teams do. We talk about how the world of developer relations has evolved now that developers are in really high demand, especially with the growth of Web3 and countless projects for people to get involved in and lots of developer-facing products that are vying for their attention, how to grab developers' attention and engage them in thoughtful ways. PJ and Wesley are two longtime professionals in this space. They are deeply experienced and talk about it with lots of guests on their podcast. So we're able to go really deep into this ecosystem. And I learned a lot about DevRel that I didn't know before. So for those of you who are interested to learn more about that world, this is the episode for you. We'll dive in in just a minute. I also want to give a shout out to another reviewer on the podcast. So every week we are going to shout out somebody who dropped a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, you might get shout out in a future episode. Again, these reviews help us in a huge way to get the word out to more people help us rank higher on Apple. So we really appreciate it. Today's reviews from Lynn Abbey Johnson. She said, compelling community conversations. This podcast is another step in the direction of generating global transformation in the realm of community building. It is much needed for bringing our world closer together and healing what is and who is hurting across all boundaries. Lynn, really appreciate you. Lynn's been a, a longtime supporter of my work and the CMX community and an amazing contributor in the community industry. So I know Lynn cares very deeply about community on that broad global level. And that review really means a lot. Thank you, Lynn. So without further ado, let's dive into today's interview. PJ, Wesley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. Glad to be here. Y'all are podcast community podcast hosts as well. So we got the gathering of community podcast hosts here. For those of you who don't listen to it, you should definitely go check out Community Pulse. Lots of great community. You've been doing it for a long time. How long have you been doing that podcast now? Believe it's five years. Well, I'm new, so I'm just over a year. 
Yeah, Wesley's just over here, but I think the podcast itself has been going on for about five years. Yeah. Started by Jason Hand and Mary Thangval. I joined after I think the sixth or seventh episode. And we just wanted to make it more awesome. So we added SJ Morris. And then last year we added Wesley just to have more fun, intelligent, thoughtful, thought provoking voices on the mic. Yeah. And we're going to do Voltron costumes. So they needed another person. That's <laughs> exactly. We, we went. In order to get a full five lions, you need five people. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's the minimum requirement, I think. That's a really cool model for a podcast that I haven't really seen before. How does that work? Do you like each get to bring in your own guests? Does everyone participate in their own episodes? How do you distribute the ownership of the podcast? Well, we meet every week, even though the podcast is bi-monthly. And we decide what the topics are going to be, what's on the rundown. And we can have hosts that are closer to the specific subject matter chime in on those that make sense. And sometimes we, some of us bow out and sometimes we're all on it. So it all depends on schedules and how they line up and subject matter. Yeah. I think it also, we all have kind of different experiences coming into this. Like, you know, is DevRel is a continuum. I like to say it's not a spectrum. It's a continuum of jobs and experiences and things that people do. And it's changing all the time. So each of us brings a different perspective that might be pertinent to the subject that we're touching on, might not be, but it could be that, you know, well, I have experience speaking. I know the person that Wesley's looking for, for the topic that he has, so I can connect the people, but I might not necessarily be on the episode. And we kind of do it in a very, it's a communal fashion. Some of us have certain jobs, you know, Wesley is very focused on kind of the social media and LinkedIn end of it. I do a lot of the editing and things like that. We all release the podcast at different points in time. We've all edited the podcast at different points in time. We all do guest work. We've all written scripts. So it kind of depends on who's needed for what job at that point and who has the cycles to do it. Well, that's a, a true community effort. Absolutely. We're like a sub-community. That makes sense. Yeah, we practice what we preach. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Meta. And a lot of it's focused on DevRel. So I think we're going to have some good conversations around DevRel today. Maybe we could just kick off if you could each share what you're working on. You both work in DevRel in your full-time jobs. So can you just share a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing today? So right now, I'm currently the head of community for a startup called Single Store, which is a database company. I say startup, but I would say it's a, almost a graduating startup where we just wrote, raised a Series F. So we're pretty long in the tooth, but the developer relations portion is still relatively new. So I was one of the first to join, and we've added two developer advocates or evangelists, mm -hmm. depending on what side of the pond you're on. And my role is to help with building the community, which is right now focused on the forum and the newsletter. And also I'm working on some internal advocacy as well and starting a ambassador program. With all of that, I'm also pretty much the de facto team lead for the DevRel organization as a whole. Got it. How big is the DevRel org there, the team? If you count me, that means three of us, me and the two advocates, and we are augmented with a few contractors here and there, depending on the type of work that we need. We might bring them on temporarily. For instance, AWS reInvent is coming up and we're going to have some on-site help with some contractors to help with awareness. We also do social and we have another contractor that's helping with our social outreach and getting things scheduled. We're growing by some other leaps and bounds by adding people to try to tackle some specific issues we have, like Forum management, being mo some moderation, some light work there, and all this stuff takes coordination. So we're bringing on someone to help with coordinating all of our ongoing stuff 
So as we grow, having contractors is actually probably like a big portion of our DevRel efforts. Yeah, I feel like that's actually something I'm seeing more and more commonly is like a community team that's two, three people, but then they have this kind of small army of contractors around them, which I think is just the nature of there's a lot of things to be done around communities that you need a lot of different specialists for. And also sometimes community teams just like don't get approved for a headcount for full-time employees, but like will get approved for contractor budget. And so it's just like, cool, I'm just going to get a whole lot of contractors to get all this work done. Yeah, absolutely. Let alone like copywriting, you know, to light editing some posts. And we might actually do our own podcast at one point and we might need to get some audio editing done. And that's kind of the things that we'll, we'll experience and grow. And then we figure out what sticks. Love it. Well, you should work with Tom at Fame, who we use. Shout out to Tom, who's going to be listening to this recording when he edits it later. Did you say Tom from Fame? Fame, yeah. Fame.so. Tom from Fame. Okay. Just making sure I got that. Yes. Just making sure you heard me. Love it. Yeah. Same here. We work with contractors for our engineering requirements on the community, for content creators, for event organizers, for, for all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Wesley. PJ. What are you working on? So yeah, currently I'm the head of DevRel at Mattermost, which is an open source communication and collaboration platform for developers. Pretty straightforward. You know, the platform, everything's open source. We work to bring people together so that they can manage their projects, chat, collaborate, bring in things like GitHub and GitLab right there in the chat platform. So they don't have to do a lot of context switching all over there. When I work with team individuals who, it's kind of like a one of those, you know, A-team situations where it's like, you know, I've got my content writers, I've got my community managers, I've got my developer marketing folks, but I kind of coordinate all that as well as doing the main developer advocate duties of going out and being the face of the company and mm. shaking babies and kissing hands and stuff like that. <laughs> Beyond that, I also yes. was the founder of devrelate.io, which was one of the first ever DevRel as a service companies delivering you know a lot of stuff that you're talking about contracting, being able to help with events, being able to help by providing speakers, mentoring speakers, providing content, things like that as people needed it over time. And I, I opened that up in about 2017. So it's been going pretty strong for four years. I love it. Do you do anything around code of conduct at all? <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. I came up with a, a concept where, as you know, event organizers, you know, they yes. generally ask you to agree to a code of conduct, but there's, it's very difficult for them to keep track of violations or reports. It's usually one person saying to another person, such and such happened or something occurred. So I developed an app called Call of Conduct, which you can see at callofconduct.com. It's in beta. The way it works is organizers send a message out to everyone and you can anonymously report mm. code of conduct violations. The organizers then get a message, a push notification on their mobile phone that something needs to be taken care of and they can take it from there after which they have a report of the occurrence, what happened, who happened with. They have a step-by-step -step thing that they can go through to make sure that everybody's safe and secure. And that's something I've been working on for a little while now. It's pretty cool. Thank you for reminding me of that, Wesley, because I've actually been talking about it for like the last two weeks. But we're just getting into beta. And so if people want to try it out, they can get in touch with me. That's incredible. That sounds really cool. Is that specifically for events yeah. or any, could it be online communities as well? At the moment, it's for meetups and conferences. Cool. I have some ideas on how to spread that out to community moderation mm -hmm. and maybe even like HR or student functions on a campus. But we're not there yet. We're still trying to get make sure that we have our feet under us before we start running. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a need. We see it in online communities where it's like, all right, here's a code of conduct that no one reads. And then maybe they read it when they have a problem. They're like, wait, what was the code of conduct? Mm -hmm. And then the reporting structure is usually like DM the admins or something, right? Like it's usually pretty scrappy and disorganized. 
which just reduces the safety and the actual effectiveness of the code of conduct, which is really important. So absolutely, I could see that working for online communities just as easily, but definitely for conferences and events as well as a conference organizer, we always have our code of conduct and we have our policy. Honestly, I'm not sure that we've ever had um, really a lot of, I don't, I don't know if we ever had any reports. And that's probably in part because there wasn't a good system for people to report it. <laughs> that's kind of the other side of it too, is when something happens to you, if you're say, you know, a woman or someone from an underrepresented group and there's, there's like some horrible language using it, or you're harassed in some way. The last thing you want to do is then go find someone who you may or may not know that well mm. that just happens to be wearing a staff t-shirt and confront them yeah. and say, hey, this happened to me. And you, you don't know this person. You don't know how it's going to go. So here's an opportunity for you. All you have to do is pick up your phone, click a link, and fill out a form. Mm. You can do it at your pace, at your leisure, at your level of comfort, and you don't have to confront anyone. So there's no like fear of reciprocation or anything like that. It just I think it makes everybody feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I love it. Well, sign me up as a beta user. Will do. All right. Don, you got a customer out of this podcast. So you're already worth your time. Sweet. All right. This is good. So that's all from us here. here at- <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Wait, let's get you more customers. Okay. So both of you have been working in DevRel for a long time. I would love to actually just like first define DevRel because already in this interview so far, we've used several terms interchangeably. Wesley, you kind of said tongue in cheek, depending on which side of the pond you're at. But I think like it's used pretty widely, whether it's DevRel, developer advocacy, developer community, PJ, you mentioned developer marketing. Are all of these things the same thing or are they different things? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> the ultimate DevRel answer. <laughs> so it it's almost like what is the best <laughs> like what is the best programming language for a modern web application? And you can find people who will fight tooth and nail and die on that hill for, and they all have different answers, right? And so a lot of it is depending on your needs. Even DevRel itself, there are still discussions of where's the best place to put DevRel. But I think it's almost like a grab bag of different things. And so it almost, if you squint and turn your head, the answer is yes to almost everything. But if you boil it down, DevRel is the process of a company speaking to the community and then the community speaking to the company, and then making that a virtual cycle so that is as healthy as possible. So keeping everything in balance, meaning that there's adequate communication to the community of developers, and the developers, once they feel heard, then produce a response back to the company. And then if it's healthy, the company responds in a healthy manner back to community. Mm. Now, when you say like speaking to the community and community speaking back to you, it sounds a little bit like what you're describing is there's this community of developers out there in the world or many communities of developers out there in the world. And you as a DevRel team, you're creating those lines of communication between your company and those people. But is there also an element of you have branded community or an owned community or like your own community of developers who are working on your platform? Or do you still see that as kind of an external community? I think there's a line that you have internal DevRel where you're dealing with the developers who are Mm -hmm. internal to your organization, which could include outside contributors. Um, At Mattermost, we have several contributors who contribute directly to the Mattermost project because it's open source, but they don't actually work for Mattermost. Mm -hmm. But we consider them internal contributors along with our dev team. And then there's the outside community, the external community, if you will. And in my mind, like the big thing there is like your job is not just to be catalyst, 
not just to be voice, but also to be participant. Mm-hmm. You should be a member of the external communities you wish to interact with. Mm. And I'm, I'm using kind of the royal use, so, but your team should in some way be involved. Mm-hmm. Wesley works at Single Store, which is very data focused. So they should be a part of like, you know, a lot of database communities, database administrators, mm-hmm. database, you know, developers, things like that, because that's the people that want that product, that want to look at that. But it goes a little bit beyond like developers and consumers and users to anyone with any kind of interest in the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You need to be the voice to say, hey, it is, there are lots of languages out there. So maybe we shouldn't just focus on the fact that maybe we use Python or we use Ruby. So we should only talk to those communities when we go out there. We develop a tool that's going to help everyone. We should talk to everyone. Mm. And the more you do that, the more you participate, the more you go out to the community, the more you're going to create value that you can then bring back internally and say, hey, you know, I was talking to this person. They thought Jamstack was the answer on web development. Let's talk about how we can integrate with that mm-hmm. because it is a very popular option. But that's just an example. I guess part of the distinction that I'm interested in as well is you are going out to, for single stores example, data communities and being a representative of single store out there in those communities. But then are you also building the single store developer community, which is single store branded events, single sort branded community spaces where developers are coming to you as a community center rather than you going out to existing communities? Yes. Yes to all. So we do have owned and we do participate in others. Depending on the size of an org, like a startup that is earlier in their journey, they may lean towards participating in other communities rather than trying to create their own and their own branded space because of the size and volume. But we've been around for over a decade and so we have a real product that is used in production where people come to ask questions and to get information about best usage of this. But I also wanted to say that the external part is what people see, but we also in DevRel do the internal part, which work with project managers. We work with documentation teams. We work internally to make sure that the feedback that we get from a functionality standpoint to like a list of features that need to be added or bugs that need to be fixed, that that is being addressed. And that Mm. we are the voice of those externally, internally. And when we say communities, we don't actually mean one to one and we don't mean one to many. We mean that and everything in between. So we'll do podcasts that will reach faceless people (laughs) that we don't even know are there. And then we'll also go to a meetup of five or 10 people Mm. and have a discussion with the people in the audience. So, and I mentioned I'll be at AWS reInvent. I'll be at the booth talking to people as they come through and actually having conversations about what people's impressions are just to make sure that as a embed to the community that I understand their wants and needs and that when I'm in the office at a conference table that I'm bringing those with me. Hmm. Hmm. That's a lot of hats to wear, right? If you compare developer-facing companies to other companies, consumer companies or B2B SaaS companies, things like that, You'd have a marketing team who's doing the podcast and the content, and you'd have kind of like a product team who's collecting that feedback and insight and bringing it in. And the community team is focused on like connecting customers to each other and providing support, providing success, providing growth by driving these kinds of community events and stuff. But in DevRel, sounds like you have even more all under the umbrella. There's, if I'm understanding kind of the pillars, there's putting on the hat of, I'm an advocate, so I'm going to go out there to all these other events and communities and be the representative of the brand to kind of spread awareness and build trust with people in other communities. 
There's the owned community pillar of great. Now you're bought in. Maybe you, you already started building on our platform or you, you're a user of our product. So we're going to build community specifically around our product where you can get support and connect with each other. And then another pillar is internally taking the insight from the industry and taking the insight from your community and working with your product team to apply all of that to the product roadmap and what you're building. Is that right? And wow, is that a lot? (laughs) I think that is right. And I think that you're right. It is a lot. I think that's why when I started off doing DevRel, it wasn't even called that. There's no term for it. Mm -hmm. We were just a community team. Right. But we were the first team to say, hey, like this isn't something one person should try to handle. But even in those early years, and this is 11, 12 years ago, in those early years, often you had one developer advocate who was expected to do all of these things. Yeah. And add on to that, interface with the marketing team to make sure that the messaging was correct. And then, you know, add to that, writing some of the code that was going into the main product, especially at small startups. Like the expectations were so ridiculously high. And I'm really enjoying seeing the advent of the DevRel team or community team. Mm. You know, early on, there were a couple of companies that were doing that right off the bat, like Twilio. Mm-hmm. Twilio to me is always the shining example. And it's because they do kind of put together these teams, these Voltron-like teams of, hey, I've got five or six, five mini teams inside of one team. So maybe not the Lion Voltron, but remember the old Car Voltron? They're like 18 different pieces. That's what the modern DevRel team should look like. Right. You should have content writers that have expertise in different areas. Mm. You should have community managers who have expertise in you know, interfacing with the community in forums or social media or focusing specifically on one-on-one conversations and moderation in all of the things that you're doing. You should have a few dev advocates who can go out and speak to different communities because there's one thing that kind of stuck about what you said is that the older companies who aren't, maybe don't have dev tools or aren't technology facing kind of have community managers that work with users and then they have like marketing teams and product teams. Mm-hmm. I don't think that should be really be the case anymore. One of the clients that I worked with at DevRelate was a large bank. They're like the third largest bank in the world. Doesn't matter what their name is. Gave you enough clues, everybody listening out there, you should be able to put it together. But they realized that like they needed to treat their API group like a small startup. They needed to act like they were building dev tools, even though they were a bank. Every company now is a technology company. Mm-hmm. Every company now should have a DevRel team. They should have advocates or evangelists at their booths helping to talk to people who work in technology. Because I don't care if you're part of a grocery store or there's technology there, there's teams that are important. I go to events now and I see, I see things like I see Target or Walmart. They have whole tech teams huge developer teams. And maybe it's just that they're looking to hire people in technology, or maybe it's that they're looking to find out what's the latest thing going on in the world of technology. doesn't matter who you are. You're a tech company. You have developers. You need communities of developers to support you. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely seeing a lot of parallels there with the broader community profession. If I think back to my earliest roles, I remember my first job as a community manager, literally it was a startup of four people. I was number four. And there were three developers and me. So I literally did everything that wasn't coding. Social media, PR, copywriting, like all of it. And that wasn't too dissimilar even when I joined larger companies of of wearing a lot of those hats all at once. Um, But what we are seeing now is as community teams are growing, getting more budget, getting more buy-in, we're seeing the ability to specialize. And so we're seeing community operations specialists, right? People who look at how do you automate a lot of these processes and track all the data around community better. We're seeing people who specialize more in events or online community. And I think in DevRel, it's cool to hear how it's breaking down by 
Are you focused more on being out there as a public face, as an advocate? Are you focused more on providing kind of support channels and own community spaces? Are you focused more internally? But how do you kind of incorporate all of those people together as one team? I was going to say that there are, I'm already seeing this, like uh, I know New Relic have mm. developer advocates that only do live streaming. When I was at MongoDB, we had developer advocates that only focused on mm. startups and accelerators, for instance. And so there is that specialization for well-funded companies that are able to do this and do this well. But yeah, as you go back, it's going to be more consolidated into one person. But as you go forward, hopefully we'll have more specialties where people can participate. Mm. I was going to say, too, I think that in some ways, with if you look at even in the startup world, a lot of the VCs and investors have caught on to the value mm. of having DevRel teams or at the very least a dev advocate. Like they're starting to get that that's a thing. and. I've always been of the philosophy that if the VCs have caught on to it, then this is norm core. Like this is yeah. this is just what you're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah. Because if VCs get it, you're one step below. This is tradition. This is the way we've always done it. My LinkedIn inbox agrees with you. Why is a VC doing that? Why are VCs investing in DevRel? I think they know that without tech communities, they can't continually support the process of building whatever the product is that you're building, regardless if it's a dev-focused tool or not. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times, like it's a situation where we look at how engineering teams get hired and how people do have a tendency to jobs every two to three years nowadays, either because they're bored or they want a different growth or whatever it is. And I don't hold that against anyone. I think that's kind of the way you should do it. That's the new model. But in doing that, that means you have to constantly be interacting with the community. You constantly need to be creating a pipeline because you never know where your next new hire is going to come from. And it could be that DevRel, to me, is like the new conduit. Like talking to a dev advocate, someone who understands, could be the face of the company and all that jazz. Someone who can have that conversation and communicate what it's like to work there might be the person who's ready to create your next engineering role and find that person. Another reason why I think VCs are into it is because that feedback loop is extremely crucial in product development. A lot of people have heard fail fast from the tech community. And that's because you put something out there, you see how it goes, you get the feedback, and then you iterate and you make another version. With developer relations, you're able to shorten that cycle considerably. I don't think that any of us have not seen someone spend a whole bunch of money, put a product out there, and then several people respond back with, why would you do this? Or what about that? Why didn't you just do that? In terms of criticizing and just saying, like, that was not the smartest thing to do. And then they then have to pivot. If you can get that input early, and be able to have those many focus groups, that large net of people who are able to say, this is what we really want. It's easier to be on the right path faster. And I just want to clarify, I think that's a good point. And it sounds like what you're describing there, Wesley, is companies who are building tools that developer teams will use and iterating and testing that product with them. So you're bringing them into that process. You're learning quickly. You have essentially like people to beta test it. Is that right? I would say any technology product because DevRel, let's use the target example. If you are out there in the developer community, there are some times you deal with developers who are coding and there are some developers that are focused on, let's say, UI, UX or accessibility. There's different developers that work on different technologies and they all can have input into making your product better, whether or not you are developer focused or not. Hmm, interesting. But I actually, as a somewhat outsider in the DevRel world, when I think of DevRel, I really, I think of like the engineer who's coding and like building tools for them. 
as well as open source communities. Like you worked on PJ, where you want developers to come contribute to your project or build on the platform. But it sounds like you have a, a broader kind of definition of engineers in like there's lots of things that developers can contribute to that isn't just like the base level of developing code. Sure, sure. I think that just the usability factor, because we're all trying to use these tools or use these products. And so it's easy to say, like, if I'm having an issue, and this is sometimes not the best part of dev advocacy, but I can go to Wesley and say, like, hey, I was using single store and I noticed in the interface, the word upgrade was spelled with two E's. And that's easier than like trying to, if I don't know Wesley is the face, I don't know where I might take that. So I might just be like, I'll just walk away from this product. So there's like value in bringing that in. But like, it's also a conversation where we talked about how people in DevRel have many different roles. People who are out in the community also have different roles. They could be a contributor, a user, a consumer, a customer, which is not the same thing as a consumer, Mm -hmm. or just someone who casually notices something and wants to bring it to your attention. And that's true regardless of the dev tools or the engineering level of the person. It could be that they're not engineers at all, but they catch on to some spelling errors in our documentation because they just happen to be perusing something because they're big content developers. Mm. So we can't think of, we can't limit DevRel to developers or engineers. I think that's a very limiting, and it's unfortunate that we came up with the term DevRel. It was better than what we had, which was nothing. We still have podcasts, by the way, so if that means anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We still have podcasts and nobody's listening to them on iPods. So disappointing. <laughs> but it, yeah, I had to explain that to my kids at one point. And they're like, why do they call them podcasts? I was like, well, you see, kids, there used to be these things called iPods. <laughs> Is that really where podcasts came from? Huh? Yeah, literally, they were so. broadcasts for iPods, podcasts. Huh, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and that's, you know, maybe that's something we need to change. But DevRel definitely could use a better, a better term because it's not just for developers anymore. Would it just be called community then? Isn't that like the broader community profession? Yes, I, I think that people think community is too broad a term. I, I don't agree. I think something that in the middle. If we say the tech community or the user community or developer community, there's always some qualifier there, I think. Mm. So there's something, it still needs to be something related to tech or technical work, just not specifically developers, like anyone who works in tech, whereas community could mean people who buy Nike shoes. Right, exactly, exactly. Got it. But it could be that you're a developer who buys Nike shoes and you realize that there's a bug on their website and you can't get the new airs. Sure, sure. There's there's overlap, yeah. Especially these tech-connected shoes, these fancy things they're building today. <laughs> can't keep up. Bring back the iPods. Bring back the iPods. And some people, I mean, I think that PJ is saying and what I'm saying, we are just like one leg of the elephant, right? Exactly, yeah. Right. There are companies and VCs out there who are like, it's just marketing. We just, that's all we do. All we want you to do is get on podcasts, get on shows. We don't care about any information coming back to us. Mm -hmm. We just want awareness. Well, it's it's not even VCs or startups that believe this. Like I at one point Mm -hmm. worked, I think we both worked for the same company at one point in time, not at the same time, but who their very belief was, hey, all right, Mm -hmm. put on the t-shirt, go out there, be PJ. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know what that means. Like, just go do talks, Mm. write a blog post every once in a while, whatever, put it on your own blog. We don't care. Just make sure that everyone knows that you work here and that Mm. you're saying things that are completely correct. Yeah, just basically flood the voice of with talking points and flood the channel and all that stuff. It's Yeah, yeah. create noise, not signal. Yeah. Very Guy Kawasaki, Robert Scoble kind of format. Like, I remember those guys are two of the evangelists, right? And a lot of DevRel, I think people think of as that. It's the guy or girl Mm -hmm. with the t-shirt at the conference. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem taking on the role of person wearing t-shirt at conference, but understand that's so small a part of what we do. And I know Wesley knows I hate this term, but like 
our job is to be thought leaders. Yuck. So gross. I want to wash my mouth out. But (laughs) like, that's actually what we do. We, part of our job is like, think about what are the next evolution to what this is, that this tech thing that we do. Mm. What is it? NFTs? God, I hope not. But like, what is it? What's important? What matters to these people that are building this world that we're creating in technology? Mm. What's important to them? What matters? And how can we communicate that to the companies we work for? And how can we build things that interest them to continue that conversation? Mm. I think the best thing Wesley said it best, we're the catalysts. That's what we do. Yeah. And not just what matters. We find out what matters most. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh. Zing. <laughs> All right, Wes, you're off the podcast. PJ and I will take it from here. <laughs> that was good. That was good. <sighs> Do we have to have the pun conversation again? Do we have to? Are you wearing the shirt? <laughs> uh, I, I am not wearing my... Wait, are you wearing a single store shirt right now, Wesley? Me? No, no. Okay. This is actually an- another podcast. Oh. <laughs> Make it weird. Yeah. All right. Love it. So that, I think that is a really interesting distinction and a good thing for people to understand about DevRel that maybe a bit of a misnomer sometimes it's broader and it's definitely not just being the evangelist at events. It's all of the things that go into building and engaging with a community and understanding it and bringing that back into the business to guide the roadmap, to get more buy-in and trust, to plug into the tech zeitgeist in a way. So a few more specific questions. One I hear often, can non-technical people work in DevRel? So Wesley's nodding his head, but let me, I just want to caveat this. This is very important. If you're working in DevRel, at some point in time, you're not technical. I hate the term not technical, unless like you're Amish or you live in a third world country where technology has not touched you, you're technical. If you've ever used a smartphone, you're technical. If you've ever figured out email, you're technical. If you know how to set the time on a VCR, you're technical. Stop calling yourself non-technical. It that's are we allowed to swear? Because that's this kind of bullshit. Yes, this is a swear safe podcast. Like the whole concept, the whole concept of being non-technical is ludicrous. It's gatekeeping. You can say non-engineers, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone who works in the modern world outside of like maybe, I don't know, farmers and even they're like farmers are super technical. You just don't know. You just don't know. They're super technical. What are you? They're like automated crop collectors. Oh, yeah. or I don't know what the words are, but it's all automated now. <laughs> the automated waterings. Yeah, it is. And like that's so I feel like it's a loaded question. Can you do DevRel and be not technical? No, mm. because you're already technical. You just don't consider yourself that way. Mm. That's my argument. I feel like I, I poked one of PJ's nerves there. And <laughs> I'm happy. I enjoyed the diatribe. I like that you asked if you could swear and then the word you used was ludicrous. <laughs> I want to know what the real swear word was. But Wesley, you have some thoughts. I was going to say that there are entire Twitter threads about how people who come from non-traditional backgrounds are some of the best at relating content to multiple groups because of their different ways of coming into technology. So it's almost like there's a lot of prominent people who have come from a theater background or have been school teachers or worked with the elderly or come from a visual arts background. So like they can find different mediums to communicate. There is also a huge portion of it where you do need to not just bring the technical content, but you need to bring yourself, right? And so personality and quirks or things that make you unique are also a part of the role because sometimes when you're speaking on 
some things that are just pretty much commodified that je ne sais quoi is the person who's bringing you that message. It's part of the thing of like not only explaining a concept, but making people want to hear it from the person who's speaking. So I think if you have one of those diverse backgrounds where you have a lot of world experience, life experience, Mm. or just a different experience, I think that that actually is a giant plus. I like that. Yeah, I definitely think that's much more important than I have six years of engineering as a developer or whatever, is the ability to actually communicate ideas and present them in a palatable way with sincerity. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think there are people in this profession who aren't sincere. I'm not going to act like everybody who's a dev advocate who's ever gotten on a stage or written a piece of content or done a Twitch stream is like going to be this humble, super awesome, sincere person. I know that I have an ego. I under, I totally understand that. I get it, but I'm sincere about it. When you're not sincere, when you're just up there trying to sell, people smell it and they don't want it. Mm. And that what I think puts like a dark cast on our profession and what we do. Yeah, I think it's hard when you want anyone who's building community to have intuition for the needs and the culture of that community and the pain that they have, and ideally an empathy. But I think the point that you're both making is you can develop an empathy and an understanding if you're just genuinely curious about the space and you want to learn and you're willing to ask questions and you care about the people you like having experience working as a developer is not the only way to gain that empathy and intuition for the community exactly exactly i think well said i think empathy is the key phrase there and i think that there's certain folks who i think this is a an instagram job of fly into exotic location do talk leave or you know write piece of content, put it up on dev.2 and never look at the comments ever again. That's not how this works. As Wesley pointed out several times, and I totally agree, our job is communication. Communication is two-way. It has to have at least two people talking. Mm. And if it's really good, if it's really good, there's a lot more than two. Mm. Love it. What is the state right now of working in DevRel in what to me seems like a time where developer attention is at an all-time premium. And it seems like there's countless communities, countless products trying to vie for developers to get excited about their project and get involved. And PJ, you joked about NFTs, but Web3 (laughs) is something that's coming up fast and very developer-driven. Oh, we're going to open up that box? All right, I'm down. Web3 is just a way to say, hey, poor people, please pay for the rich people internet. (laughs) We could talk about that. (laughs) But before we do, I'm just curious about like, has it been really hard lately to get developers to engage? And how do you think about building community in a space where everyone's attention is in such high demand? It reminds me of, was it 2008 during the economic crash? There were, before that, a lot of money you can grab and just buy a house and like anyone who wanted a house could get one. And so the whole market was flush with people in real estate. Everyone was, if you had a license, you made money. It was just almost a guarantee. You could just print money. And then the crash happened and the recession happened and everybody who didn't adapt, who didn't mold to the current conditions and only knew what the rote like plan was of how to make the commit to the sale, they started washing out. And there were some people who adapted and there were some people who had some bad luck and there were some people who are lucky. And I think that's 
where in this pandemic where the amount of online chatter and attention like seeking and then targeted ads and mm-hmm. virtual webinars, all of that's happening right now. And it's a concophony of a lot of different noise or signal, depending on who you are. And you started seeing more live streaming. I mentioned that before. You started seeing more podcasts and that's, and people are like, let's find a way to have either get to the people who need to find us or allow people who are interested in this topic to find our content. And so there are different ways of doing that. I would say like DevRel is a really great community of people where we are able to lean on each other and help find those people, foster those communications and do a little nudge and a wink when we see something that's taking hold and the same thing about things that are that is devaluing the community and that we probably should not do anymore. So the state of it is, is that those of us who've been doing it for a while and are already connected in these meta communities of developers and developer relations have been able to like listen and just hear what they want and hear how they want it. Hmm. And those who are new coming in, it's much harder. It's much harder to find that community, understand who's valued and validated in those communities because anyone can be in developer relations these days by just changing your name on LinkedIn, your title on LinkedIn. So, but understanding like, what are the, some of the first principles of developer relations and how do we keep going back to there? And that it is a true strategy and not 100% tactics, like um, some <laughs> job descriptions say. So you do need to have a really good grasp of both to be able to survive right now. I agree 100% with everything that Wesley said. I think that the key to understand, like we are trying to build signal through the noise and it is tough because you know we're coming out of a pandemic. But at the same time, I think that we have an evolving set of communities where maybe what I would have valued as a developer in back during that financial back in 2008, what I would value then is not what the average, you know, 20, 30 something developer would value now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's no longer long form content, long form written content in the form of books. Maybe it's more of the blog post kind of situation, or maybe it's easier for people to ingest Twitch streams because they can take a few minutes. And I also think that the way that we present it is less dry. When you look at people like Joe Carlson or Cassidy who are doing like comedic references, but they're still teaching people. Like there's just so many different ways to do it. And I think that it's not so much noise as we've realized that there's different paths to getting the message across and you're hitting a different group with each kind of format. Mm. And that's where the value lies. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're bombarding people. It's just that people need to realize that there's different ways to get the content out there. And there's different ways to receive it. Mm. So receive it the way you want. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense when there's this kind of rush to grab the attention of developers. And for a while, there were more developers maybe than companies trying to reach them. And it was like a relatively easy thing to do. But now that there's so much demand for their attention and not as many developers necessarily go around, it just requires a lot more intention and specificity in how you connect with people, which is true for every industry, right? Whether it was for mm. real estate or any space that becomes really big and hot, when there's an abundance of content or community just makes the quality matter that much more because simply just being there isn't enough. Cool. One last question, and then I want to move into our rapid-fire question round. PJ, you started this developer relations as a service, and it got me thinking about something I've talked a lot about in community with different groups, 
and people seem to have different opinions on like, can you outsource community? Is that something that you should be outsourcing as a business? So I'm curious to hear from you. I imagine what you're going to say is, well, yeah, some things can be outsourced and some things you really want to own and have in-house. I'm curious where that line is for you. What are the things that should be in, in-house and what are the things that can be outsourced? I'm curious to hear from you as well on that, Wesley. I actually think that everything could be outsourced. I think that if you find the right agency, the right organization, the right set of contractors, generally you're looking for people who understand the communities you're working with or who are participants in the communities you want to work with. There's nothing you can't outsource. DevRel is not generally there to share the internal secrets of the business logic of what the product is or what the founders want. We're there to share the message of what we're trying to do. So I think as far as that goes, you're reaching out. Any way that you can find to reach out is good. As long as the organization you find values the same value sets that you have, hmm. which for DevRelays, I would, we value communities. We value interaction. We value communication. How you'd like to do that, we are willing to help you in any way. I think the only line is when it comes to like some of the internal stuff, it's more difficult to have a contractor give feedback to an engineering team when that contractor doesn't really work for the company. Hmm. Some teams aren't really cool with receiving that kind of feedback. There's no reason why you can't do it. It's just going to be a little more difficult. But as long as you go into it with that understanding, I don't think there's anything that outsourced community managers, developer advocates, there's nothing they can't do, just as if you have them in-house. What comes to mind for me, and I want to hear from you, Wesley, is that the practical or tactical components of community are certainly okay to outsource of like, yeah, we need to collect this information, we need to moderate these spaces, we need to have a presence at these events, whatever it is. But there's Similar to what you just said of a contractor not having the same ability to influence internally, I think comes from a belief around if you're in-house full-time, you are really bought in, invested, you are embodying the company, you're in it for the long run. Whereas something that's like contracted out, it's more transactional, it maybe feels less emotionally aligned. And so if I'm talking to one of you, and you're a contractor representing a product, is that going to feel different than if I'm talking to you and I know you're a full-time employee representing that product? What's your take on it, Wesley? I think that very much depends on the company that's hiring this contractor and the contractor and what they're allowed to do. Because sometimes you have these contracts that have very strict SOWs where they can only work this confines. But like I mentioned, the example of the pandemic where things might need to change on a dime that might need to be rewritten or reconsidered. But I agree with PJ when you can say a contractor can do all functions, but you also have to make sure that you, as the employer, as the client, enable the contractor to do some of the things that are needed. Like, for instance, saying that your baby's ugly. You have to say, like, this is really (laughs) a big problem and needs to be fixed. And if there's a power dynamic where that type of feedback is no longer okay and you're just going to fire the contractor or those are the way that you take in feedback and respond to it really allows you to have that open line of communication where you could have like these hard decisions that need to be made or like I really know that you want to make fun of X competitor, but you need to hold off. That's not the best way to play this. You have to be able to say no and give the contractor that ability to really give the feedback that is needed unfettered Mm. in order for it to actually be super effective. Mm. 
is there an element of like the strategy should be owned internally, but the execution of that strategy can be outsourced? Or do you both believe that strategy could actually be outsourced as well? Like a company can just say like, we don't know what to do with community. We're just going to outsource the whole thing, planning beginning to end to someone else. I think, yeah, you could 100% outsource the strategy. Yeah. Because a lot of times in the beginning, it's going to be very similar anyway. Like it's almost cookie cutter. When people are like, we know there's a community out there we want to interact with. We just don't know how to do it. Well, then, yeah, you need to bring a contractor in and have them sit down and have you understand like who it is, what it is you want to do and narrow that down. Like contract, especially in DevRel space, very big on bringing them and helping you understand that. Mm. Because again, a lot of times when you come in and you're like, hey, not necessarily you have an ugly baby, like you have a great baby. But no one knows that your baby exists. How do we share this? That's sometimes you need the outside perspective because as a founder, you might not understand what that is. Oh my God. Here, take a piece of baby. It's here, good. Have a little baby. Have a little baby. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting to the end of the podcast here and it's about to get dark real fast. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should switch to the rapid fire round before we get into the dead baby jokes. I love a good dead baby joke. So if you want to just keep doing that, I'm down for that too. And I have a baby. We'll see how the rapid fire round goes first. <laughs> All right. We're going to go out to rapid fire round. You guys ready? I'm going to ask the questions normal speed and you're going to answer them rapidly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. All right. You got it. And some of them I'll have for both of you. I have a couple just for you individually. All right. First one for both of you. PJ, why don't you go first? What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others or to recommend to others? Oh, I would probably say the Foundation series, not the TV series, but Foundation series. Okay, that's it. Okay, Mary Thangval is the business value of developer relations. That's my new answer. That was the correct answer. Yes, good job. Mary was a past guest here. Very big fan of Mary here on Masters of Community. Wesley, what's your favorite book? You can't say Mary's now because PJ you blew it. took that from you. The one that I'm recommending right now that everyone read is called Just Work. Mm. And if you're familiar with the candid... Radical Candor. Radical Candor, yeah. It's the same author who does... Radical Candor, she made this other book called uh, Kim Scott, Just right? Work, and it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Yeah, she spoke at the last in-person CMX Summit, actually, which was delightful. Nice. Radical Candor was one of my favorite books. Great recommendation. All right, next question. Wesley, why don't you take this one first? What's one guest that you've had on your podcast that made you change your mind about something, and what did they make you change your mind about? Hmm. I would say Bear from Slack. Her perspective on metrics was very enlightening to me. We had, she kind of turned the tables and put us on the hot seat on our own podcast. Mm. And I would say that (laughs) just the way that she thought about segmentating her budget, segmenting her budget actually made me rethink some things. Bear Douglas. Yes, Bear Douglas. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's right. That's what I thought. Great. And I love it when guests turn it around on you and start grilling you. But thank you for not doing that today, especially since you're podcast hosts. It was a big risk that we took here. We're not done yet. <laughs> anyway, PJ, uh, who's one guest that you had that changed your mind about something? And what did they change your mind about? Yeah, I think it was Elizabeth Kinsey. We were doing, a, I'd written an article, I think in late 2019, about developer marketing and developer advocacy not being the same thing. Same goal, different tactics kind of idea. Um, you can't compare apples and oranges when someone brings in a banana. And she came in and she really showed me the value of developer marketing because a lot of things, times people are eschewing marketing, like, eh, that's used sale, used car salespeople, like whatever. They just have one way of doing things. They don't adjust for time. But she really showed me that caring about developers and marketing to developers, developing that messaging and understanding how to talk to developers is key and it's important. So in reality, it's not that we should be 
working with different means towards the same end. It's that we should be working hand in hand to understand how better to communicate with communities. Mm. Love it. So Elizabeth Kinsey, shout out to her. Elizabeth Kinsey, another past guest here on Masters of Community. Awesome person. <laughs> you both chose people who work at Slack. So apparently, if you want to have your mind changed about something, go talk to someone who works at Slack. Well, I mean, go to Mattermost first. I'm legally obligated to say that. Right, right, right. He's not wearing the t-shirt, but he should be. Go to Mattermost first, then go talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the t-shirt in essence. Oh, I like that. You should wear a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> All right. I have one specifically for you, Wesley. You've said that community shapes us. To what extent do you feel that we are shaped by our communities versus being ones that shape the communities around us? <laughs> oh, wow. That went deep. That's deep. Yeah, yeah, that's slow lightning. So it's a weird <laughs> feedback loop where sometimes like, we bring the selves that we think will be accepted. And so that shows what the community should be and how we are trying to present it to them. And then vice versa, the community reacts to what we present. And then we get a feedback cycle based on what they think they should be doing. And then we react to that as an acceptable manner. So it's a very symbiotic relationship between us and the community. And Mm. I think that's how we shape the community and how the community shapes us. That's a very complicated answer because it's more than just like community, how we've been talking about it now, but It's from our friends, our family, our school groups, our... Our kids. Any type of Mm. new meetup. Yeah, it's everyone. Mm. And because that's how we relate to each other as humans. Love it. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, the sense of community theory from David McMillan and Chavis, where it's like the exchange of influence. You have to feel like you have influence over the community, but the community also has to have influence over you. And so your identity is changing the social identity, but the social identity is also changing your personal identity. Mm-hmm. It's a state of flux yeah. where you're all trying to reach equilibrium. Love it. All right, PJ, you once said that community doesn't come to you. You have to go to the community. What tips do you have for applying this advice on how to meet your community where they're at? I think that it's kind of right there in the answer. Go to where they are. If your community primarily communicates on IRC, join the IRC channel. If they happen to be, you know, you have a big, heavy influence in the Midwest. Go to all the Midwest conferences, meetups, and events. Find out where they are. Go and talk to these people. If conversations happening on Stack Overflow, be there. Be on Twitter. Be everywhere that the community is happening and talk to them like people. Have human conversations. And I'm not just talking about go to where the community is, but also like bring yourself to the level of the community. If you're in a highly technical community, try to find out how to get to the level of communication, but also understand that these are human beings. Like what informed them? What brought them to being who they are? What is it about them? Like, yeah, maybe you want to talk to developers. Maybe you specifically want to talk to open source developers. But what else interests them? Maybe they play guitar. Maybe they're into karaoke. Maybe they like fighting games or they're into Halo, whatever. Communicate to people as humans and you endear yourself. You become a part of that community. That's how you go to the community. Mm. It's not just reaching out. It's also jumping in the pool. Mm. I love that. So it's not just the location or the platform. It's literally like meeting them where they're at culturally. Right. Love it. All right, next question. What's a go-to community engagement or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? PJ, why don't you take this one first? Ooh, I think one of my big things is like, hey, what brought you here? It's not always that you're there for the tech. Sometimes somebody said this was a cool place to be and I wanted to check it out. Or someone said this is a cool piece of technology and I want to check it out. Mm-hmm. What brought you here? What got you started? What got you interested? It's kind of like it's the where you're from or you do you drop by here often of community <laughs> openers in my mind. What brought you here? Love it. What made you decide to do this thing today? Mine is, what do you think? 
is like, what do you think about this, where we are? What do you think about this conversation? What do you think of the people here? What do you think about my t-shirt? Like, what is your grade for whatever that we're experiencing at the moment? What do you think about Web3? But just don't ask that to PJ. Yeah. Yeah. Like I use it at events all the time. Like if I'm at some conference or something, I say, so what do you think? How has it been for you? What is your Mm -hmm. experience so far? And it gets people evaluating, thinking, and then processing. Because one, it gets them talking. And two, if you ask enough people there, then you can start actually getting a like a a thread between all these conversations that it's easier to digest. I'll add to that. That's also a great, as a parent, that's a great, like, slight intonation. When your kid comes to you and they're like, what's coronavirus? Well, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah. Turn it on them. And find out what they want to actually know because chances are the first question isn't where it's at. Yes. I love it. Good parenting tip. Noted. My kid can't talk yet, but saved it in the repository. Yeah. Write that one down. All right. Next question. What is the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Ooh, I got this one. Super easy. During COVID, sporting events obviously went away for a while. So I joined, I started to get really into Yellow's Marble League. It's uh, literally like, so you could watch it on YouTube. They have events. There are teams. We have t-shirts and jerseys at our house. Yellow's Marble League, that's spelled with a J, where they race marbles down different marble tracks. And it's just really cool and fun. Like each episode's like 10 minutes long. It's not a huge investment in time, but we did get to the point where we did join uh, the GoFundMe for the video game version of it, just because it was it's such an enjoyment. But interesting community, because like there are people they are really into like Lego built tracks for marbles, and then you race the marbles, and yeah, like there's stop motion animation, there's an announcer, it's very exciting, and it's a ridiculous community. Definitely one of the weirdest things I've ever been a part of. I love it. Love it. Great example. I think I might have seen one or two of those on TikTok at some point. Oh, I don't doubt it. It seems very weird. (laughs) All right, Wesley, what's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? The weirdest community that I was a part of was in college. I joined, I majored in electrical computer engineering, Mm -hmm. and I joined a engineering fraternity. That sounds weird. (laughs) And that was super weird. There was a lot of awkward people there. Those sound like opposite words. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so I was at this that present time while I was like Uh a recruit or a pledge for that fraternity. I was the president of Delta Upsilon, which is like a legit fraternity at the time. And being part of this engineering fraternity, it was them doing what they thought fraternities did. Wait, so was it like this This 80s movie, the 80s movie Revenge of the Nerds? Was it like that? It was similar, yes. It's as if that was their study material. And I would say that was the weirdest fraternity because they would just like try to haze us. (laughs) And I'm like, what? No. Do this math problem. (laughs) And then like do a lot of things around alcohol. I'm just imagining like like, high-tech beer pong tables and like beer (laughs) bongs that talk to you and are voice activated. Sounds like the average startup now. They, they were not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that was the weirdest community that I was a part of. I love it. I love it. Good one. Yeah. Dropped out. Couldn't handle the hazing, huh, Wesley? <laughs> no, I couldn't handle the disrespect. Actually. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons that, that you've collected into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world on how to live, what would that advice be? Remember, everybody's human, so try to be kind to each other. Do your best. Yeah, mine would be similar. It would be like, you are the best version of you. 
stick with that. And if you look at yourself and you feel that you should be do, you could be better, do better. Mm. If you feel like you could be better, do better. And everybody's human. Retweet. Retweet. Very tweetable. I retweet Wesley's deathbed statement. Love it. David, is this how you get all your tweets? (laughs) Mostly, yeah. Yeah, none of them are original. (laughs) It all comes from the rapid fire round. I can't wait to post about the engineering fraternity. He just cuts that part off the end of the podcast and he's like, all right, well, there's my tweets for the week. I'm good to go. (laughs) Yeah. Never heard that on the podcast in my life. (laughs) (laughs) No idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we are at the end. So just super, super grateful for you taking the time to chat with me and share your wisdom. And I learned a lot about DevRel today. Hopefully everyone here did too. Lastly, where can people go to continue to learn from you, to subscribe to your podcast and find out about all the things that you're working on? Well, I mean, podcast is definitely communitypulse.io at community underscore pulse on Twitter. I am at Asplenic on Twitter. That's A-S-P-L-E-E-N-I-C. Because I lost my spleen when I was 19. It's a whole long story. If you want to tweet at me about that, tweet at me about that. Feel free to email me, uh, pj at devrelate.io or pj at mattermost.com. I'm always happy to talk about just about anything. As Wesley will tell you, the trick is getting me to shut up. Um, I'm Wesley Faulkner. I'm Wesley83 pretty much everywhere. I have Wesley83 on LinkedIn and Wesley83 on Twitter, but I strongly urge people not to send me messages on LinkedIn. If you really want to talk to me, my DMs are open on Twitter. So that's the best place to find me. Of course, I'm on Community Pulse with PJ and Mary Thingval, SJ Morris, and of course, Jason Hand, who helped start this whole thing. And oh, yeah. if you want to track my work, of course, you can go to Single Store Devs, which is like a handle that I help with curation, some of the topics there. But I have one of the newest things that happens that's taking the developer advocate community by storm, which is I have my own poly work site. And so if you go to wesleyfaulkner.com, I should say www.wesleyfaulkner.com, <laughs> you can see all my work there and any podcast. And I'm guessing this podcast will actually show up there too. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.